if there's one big takeaway from this podcast is get MFA everywhere on your email when you log in. I don't care if you're sitting at your desk, MFA every single time you authenticate to anything. And if you're not doing that, you're just, I think you're just in strong MFA. So not with a text message, not with your phone, uh, either with an app like Duo or Okta or uh, YubiKey or an RSA token, you know, stronger second form of MFA um, is going to help protect stuff. Is it 100% foolproof? Absolutely not. Will it make it exponentially more difficult to bust into your accounts? Absolutely. Expect of the modern enterprise and with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Welcome. You're listening to the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast. We just call it the HIP Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. Today, I'm welcoming back Alan Sagano, president of ADS Consulting Group and ADS Cloud, to catch up on the latest security issues he's seeing in the field. ADS Consulting specializes in virtualization, IT infrastructure, cloud, PCI compliance, system reviews, and troubleshooting. And for smaller clients, they act as the company's IT department. For larger clients, they perform special projects and project management. Welcome back, Alan. Hey, Sean. Thanks a lot for having me again. It's uh, nice to chit-chat with you. Although uh, it often seems as though when we're here to talk about security from the field, the sky always seems to be falling. It, it never stops falling. And then when you think it's maybe slowed down, more sky falls. <laughs> yes, that's right. And you know, for me, I just block it with my head. In your consulting, you do a lot of consulting with a lot of different companies and on security issues, among other things. So obviously, you've kept up on what's been going on with the latest zero day for Exchange Server. Can you uh, fill us in on what that's all about and what sort of the saga or where that stands today? Well, there's that the latest zero day, right? If you get in right, you can launch PowerShell without authenticating. There, they Microsoft or Microsoft did come out with some recommendations on doing a URL rewrite, and then somebody else came along. Can't remember who it was, and recommended some to modify the script to make it more generic instead of looking for like an at sign. I think they took that out and said, you know, anything just to make the script more generic. So you want to definitely check on that. I I don't think Microsoft released a patch for those zero days with the last patch Tuesday. And of course, we're talking on October 12th of 2022, but you definitely want to get those fixes on sooner than later. And obviously also make sure that you have the latest critical update service pack for Exchange, depending on if you're running on-prem. Obviously, if you're in 365, you don't have to worry about that. But if you're still running an on-prem server, you want to make sure you get those patches on and and do the tweak on the URL rewrite. Well, staying on the topic of of email and email security concerns, you're uh, telling me about what's got you up at night. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about business email compromise? Yes, dun dun dun. So God, <laughs> this has me really, really concerned. It could be the next ransomware, only much worse. Well, can we start by explaining what business email compromise is and how is that different from 
the compromises that come from fishing and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it starts by typically a bad actor, a threat actor will, will gain access to a sea level person or somebody that does with, you know, a controller or a CFO, CEO, CIO, CTO email. So that's how it starts. They'll get a username and password. Typically, those accounts don't are not, well, they're usually not, all the ones that we've seen so far are not protected with multi-factor authentication. And then they'll access the email, uh, usually with OA. Um, we've seen both of these happen on exchange servers, one on-prem and one in 365. And they'll just sit back like a fly on the wall and wait for a large financial transaction to hit. So companies that um, are dealing with uh, transferring large amounts of money, you know, uh, you know, either electronically through payment of invoices or, you know, deposits or attorneys, those types of companies are especially at risk. So basically what will happen is the threat actor will sit there and they could be in there for months or longer. And uh, they'll sit back, watch the traffic go by and go, ooh, here's an invoice that needs to be paid. And it looks like it's getting paid electronically. So then what they'll do is they'll craft an email that looks like it came from the CFO or whatever, send it to, to that the company's client and go, oh, just to let you know, uh, we switched bank accounts. So when you do an ACH transfer to pay this invoice, you need to update your banking information and have it go to this fake account. But the, because the bad actor has access to the C-level CFO's email, it will look like it came from the CFO because it effectively did. So if you check the envelope, it looks completely legit, blah, blah, blah. Then they'll usually go back and forth. We've seen uh, them create rules so that any inbound emails that come from that particular client then will get rerouted to like the RSS feeds folder in your uh, Exchange mailbox, which nobody looks at anymore because nobody uses RSS, you know, the really simple syndication folder. Um, so, you know, they won't see the emails come in, but the bad actor will know to check there for those emails and then reply back and forth. They'll either delete items out of the sent or reroute this, the sent items that they've sent from that mailbox to a different folder or delete them altogether. So you really can't see what's, you know, it's harder to pick up on stuff. And if they're successful, you know, going back and forth, back and forth, you know, they can walk away with a very, very large sum of money. So, so this looks like a, a man in the middle attack with email. So yeah, pseudo man in the middle attack, but it's pretty hard to pick up on until you're like, Hey, where's our money? The attack is kind of a one and done, but usually it's a pretty big one and done. You know, thank you for playing. I just got, you know, 60, 70, hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to go away now. Thank you. They won't see the the payment because the payment got redirected. And I, I suppose even if, let's say, the CFO or whoever handles accounts receivable says, where's our money? If, if that mailbox is being monitored, they could even prevent that from going out, I suppose. Possibly, yes. Or yes, and we're create a rule that at least sends it to the bad actor or something like that. So there, right. there's many ways to to block that. But even that, you know, at some point, right, the CFO is going to call up and probably go, hey, where's our money? We sent it to with those updated instructions. Like, what, do you, what updated instructions? What are you talking? And then, you know, 
then the gig is up, right? But so you said that you're very you're very concerned about it, and because you're seeing a sudden increase in it, or you've got information that there are sudden increases in it, or yes, we personally know of two companies that have gotten hit, and these are relatively small companies for more than two hundred thousand dollars, just across two companies that again that are relatively small. We were talking with three sixty five support on an unrelated issue, and they had mentioned. Oh yeah, this business email compromise is just going bonkers. So when you look at the metrics of from a hacking perspective, you know, how many ransomware attacks do you need to successfully pull off to get the same amount of money from a similarly sized company? You're looking at, you know, 10, 10, 20, 30, 40 attacks to get 200 grand, or you can just do two. And arguably it may take a little bit more time of monitoring and sitting back. When you look at the economies of scale and the payoff, the potential payoff, if you can pull it off, it's it's way more lucrative than a ransomware attack. So what are some indicators of exposure companies should be aware of to help protect against business email compromise? So one of them is to look at your rules in Outlook, and you can even look at them in OA and make sure there aren't any rules there that uh, you're not aware of. That is a huge red flag. You can check the logins. And it seems like most of these bad actors are using uh, Outlook Web Access to access the mailbox. So look for unusual um, logins from weird geo locations. That would be another potential one. Um, obviously, late payments, but usually by then you're it's, it's too late. Um, and actually, by the time the rules are in, it's too late. So really, the, the bigger thing here, and then we talked about this earlier, um, is username and password today are not good enough. Just get over it. If you think, and I don't care how long your password is, I don't care what complexity you're using, you need to use a strong form of multi-factor authentication. End of story. No yabuts, yeah, no exceptions. You need MFA every single time you access anything today. And and I think if you don't do that, you're just not very smart or extremely naive or both. Part of what you're saying regarding password complexity is it doesn't matter how complex the password is if you've reused the password someplace else. Yes. And that's the other takeaway, right? Is don't use, obviously you want to best practices are you have a unique username and password combination or every single account you access. That being said, if you could only select one password to be unique, make sure it's your email password because that is kind of a linchpin, right? Because it's used to reset other passwords and blah, blah, blah. Right. If you have to make one unique password, make sure it's your email password because that is super, super important. For all of your email accounts. Yes, for all your email accounts, yes. Most of us have at least two and some of us have many more. Yeah, you know, two, three, four, five hundred, whatever. There's that long tail of email accounts that, you know, you probably, if you still have an AOL account that's been sitting around forever or a Yahoo account or who knows, who knows what along that line, make sure that they are all different. Yes, yes, please, please, please. So that's probably if you, if there's one big takeaway from this podcast is get MFA everywhere on your email, when you log in, I don't care if you're sitting at your desk, MFA every single time you authenticate to anything and strong MFA. So not with a text message, not with your phone, uh, either with an app like Duo or Okta 
or a YubiKey or an RSA token, you know, a stronger second form of MFA is going to help protect stuff. Is it 100% foolproof? Absolutely not. Will it make it exponentially more difficult to bust into your accounts? Absolutely. In your recommendation, so the the target audience for the this kind of business email compromise are the people that have financial responsibility that can do external authorize external payments and all that. Would that be a targeted way of doing that? Since no, we're kind of like now saying I don't care if you're the guy that's you know making the French fries. <laughs> Everybody needs MFA. It's one of those you know do or do not. There is no try. Totally agree with you and people that listen to this podcast, you know, I'm all about MFA for everybody. But I guess what I'm asking is it's difficult to get YubiKeys for everybody and manage that infrastructure. But if you did it, if you did the higher level of identity proofing with YubiKey or a hard token for the financial actors. Yeah, you definitely would want to start there. Absolutely. And have like, you know, authenticator based. Uh, smartphone-based authentication for everybody else. Yeah, we actually like the apps better because they pop up and say, hey, Sean, was this you trying to log in from blah, 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 yada, yada, as opposed to even like a YubiKey or a Google Authenticator or the ones where you have to just look at the code. Right. Because it kind of smacks you upside the head when you log in and it's going to be easier to pick up on a potential indicator of compromise uh, rather than with even like a YubiKey. So in that particular specific use scenario, actually the apps are just in that particular scenario, they actually gives you at least more of a heads up when somebody's trying to access your account. Right. I'm a, bi- I'm a big fan of both the geo tagging and the number match. The geo is really nice, if the user actually looks at it to see, oh, it's actually coming from Dar es Salaam, you know, as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to Dallas. The second one of the number match, even if someone is hammering you for MFA alerts and you and you have fatigue and you want to allow it, you can't because you don't know what the numbers are that they're seeing in Dar es Salaam. Right, right. So, but I tend to when you know for Duo or Octopushes that we get, we really watch those. In fact, we, I just had one where somebody fat fingered something and accidentally sent me a push and I just, you know, it was all hands on deck. Turned out to be a false alarm. Thank God. He's like, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I just, you know, but everybody knows that for us, if somebody accidentally pushes something to a wrong account, we get on teams and go, that was me. Sorry, sorry, my bad, you know, so that it doesn't. So it doesn't trigger a fire drill. We tell our clients, if you have Duo or Okta and you get a push and you didn't log in, that is a call us. That's all hands on deck, all shields up, kill the internet access, reset everybody's. It's a definitely, well, we'll just ignore it because it's probably nothing. No, that's that's an attack in progress, right? One of the things we've been seeing in the news for uh, Azure AD and Exchange Online customers is Microsoft moving forward with shutting down legacy authentication as, as opposed to, you know, historically they've been saying, Hey, this is one of the things you should do. One of the things you should do. Now we're seeing them starting to take a proactive approach. Do you think this may have something to do with it? Uh, I think so. I mean, the stronger authentication always will really help, but in this particular case, I think a lot of the compromises are coming because of passwords that haven't been changed in 500 years 
and shared passwords that you know that you're just using the same password for 500 different accounts it could also be some dark web leaks right where you get a username and which is usually your email right with a password pair and the hacker's like oh let me just try it see oh boom thank you thanks for not changing your using a unique password because otherwise you would make my life a lot harder even things like uh password spraying right where you just take commonly used passwords and just spray them across an account to see what sticks sometimes that's even effective so i think yes the stronger authentication definitely helps uh, but my gut is telling me that the leaks are in this particular type of compromise are are coming from other sources as well and right. it, it could be possibly because of weak authentication where you bust and you know oh this is weakly encrypted or this or that and the other thing and right uh, or, or or a spearfish or and yeah so it's it's another and we we've been on talking about this a lot recently is it's being recognized that identity-based attacks are become the predominant type of attack nowadays is of ways of getting initial access or identity-based the old i've been saying this many times in the last few days the old saw they don't break in they log in yes Yes. Yes. Thanks for playing. You, you, you're, you know, what's that? What's that burning smell? Oh, it's me. Cause I'm on fire. right? <laughs> no. So you're getting barbecued. And the only reason why you figured it out, cause this is a burning smell. Oh dear. <laughs> well, so you were also tossed out a, a, a phrase that you've been using with your customers on security. You want to, you want to talk about what you, you've called the critical quad. Yeah, and that's just, you know, something I just came up with, but critical quad. So in addition to all the other stuff you hopefully you're already doing, you know, enterprise firewall and uh, antivirus and blah, blah, blah. The critical quad we're now saying is um, MFA, of course, uh, all the time, every time you log into anything. And I don't, I just MFA, 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 MFA. The second thing is actually end user training. And we are now recommending, uh, we've always have, but we're pushing it more aggressively. Um, and it needs to be micro training. So something that happens at least weekly, uh, you know, for maybe two or three minutes a week. Okay. I don't care how busy you are. You have two or three minutes to spend on cybersecurity. The reason why that is, right, is if you just do the annual or even quarterly training, you know, people remember for a day or two and it just evaporates. So you kind of need that constant pressure because guess what? Hackers are always, 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 always trying to get in. So yeah, MFA, end user training, application whitelisting is another one. You know, instead of trying to figure out what's bad, just put on a whitelist what's good. It, it can be a little obnoxious and invasive. It, you definitely want an infrastructure. We use ThreatLocker. Uh, for our application whitelisting, but you definitely want an ecosystem because uh, to try to do it with like built-in group policy with application uh, application policies uh, just within group policy is it, you'll just it's a maintenance nightmare. So you kind of need an infrastructure to manage that effectively, and then some kind of centrally patched management system. Um, you know, and that also includes uh, which. And when I'm talking there, it's more generic. So. If you have a lot of mobile devices, MDM, making sure they're, they're up to date, and then some type of 
centrally managed console where you can vet the patches, patches, push them out, make sure people get the memo, have a good reporting to make sure that right on any patch session, we see failure rates anywhere from 10 to 15% every time we push something out for you know, a plethora of reasons. Oh, you know, you have pending reboot. Oh, the computer was off. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, those, those are now becoming, I think, as important as all the baseline stuff. And if you're not doing that, you really, I think that is the new baseline in our opinion. Um, we just can't keep our clients safe without having those, at least those, minimum safeguards in place anymore. It's just getting too scary. What if you're an organization, let's say you're purely in the cloud organization, and you, you, there is no place to put a, you know, a, a patch management server in place. If you're reliant on the, the Microsoft push, uh, what, um, what are your recommendations you know, there? You can, even if you're running 100% cloud, you can still manage that, right? You um, can, can, yeah, you can control... You can't control the platform, but you can control the VMs running on the platform, right? So, yeah, that, that's also, it's a good point, right? So you want to make sure that whatever cloud provider that you partner with <laughs> is keeping their stuff up to date. Microsoft, I think, does a pretty good job. Some other vendors are a little lazy, I think, especially like, uh, not to throw anybody on their bus, but certain uh, website providers, right? They're just kind of like, oh yeah, okay, we'll get it on at some point, but they're not super anal retentive about it. So it is important to also do that to make sure that obviously your 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 infrastructure, your foundational infrastructure is properly secured as well. Uh, that that kind of all ties in also to vetting the cloud provider before you you make the uh, leap of faith and you start using it. So Right. Well, we're certainly seeing that in the field is, you know, great scrutiny of, of third party security, because we've all seen, you know, we've all seen Kaseya, we've seen uh, SolarWinds, we've, there are have others that have happened. And of course, once it's become, it's a force multiplier, if you can compromise. Right. Exactly. Right. It's like, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Why would you go after an MSP? SolarWinds, because that's where the money is, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks, Al. I really appreciate, you know, it's your insight and, and what you're seeing out in the field is always interesting, if if somewhat dismaying. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. The running joke here is Alan opens up his mouth and everybody wants to jump out the window. Don't shoot the messenger. If you can come out of the conversation with recommendations and steps to help that, and hopefully we have done that. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from this is MFA, MFA, with the side of MFA, with extra MFA every single day, every time you authenticate. You know, did I mention MFA? Because, I, I th yeah, I think I did. I, I think, uh, Alan, that you need to get a, a washable, like a black or a red whiteboard marker that's washable and put that on your forehead and then get that for a, a profile photo. I, th I think it'll trend on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. <laughs> or TikTok, yeah, because I'm yeah. sure you're a big TikTok user. I, I'm I, sure I, you every are. single day. Well, thanks again and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com 
That's H-I-P-C-O-N-F dot com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.